0: lecture three part three of the endowments of man by william bernard Ullathorne. this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture three the secondary image of god in man part three the first great crime after the fall sprang from the pride engendered by descent from the true worship of god whilst the evil yet brooded in the heart of the criminal god proclaimed to him the law of self-dominion of the two sons of adam abel offered a sacrifice pleasing to god it was divinely accepted because it was an obedient worship for god alone can prescribe how he will be worshipped and it is not for man to choose Abel offered a bleeding victim in faith and in figure of the promised Redeemer. Cain made his own choice of an offering, presenting the fruits of the earth. But when Cain saw that his brother's sacrifice was accepted, whilst his own offering was rejected, his pride was fired and his wrath enkindled, and he meditated the destruction of his brother. Then God said to Cain, Why art thou angry, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou do well, shalt thou not receive, but if ill, shall not sin forthwith be present at the door. But the lust thereof shall be under thee, and thou shalt have dominion over it. It is impossible for us to realize how much the body has been enfeebled, AND ITS OBEDIENT FLEXIBILITY TO THE WILL DIMINISHED THROUGH THE LOSS OF IMMORTALITY. FROM THE EFFECTS OF ORIGINAL AND EVEN OF ACTUAL SIN, THERE IS ALSO A GREAT WEAKENING OF ITS VITAL ENERGY. THE SOUL HAS LESS POWER OVER IT, THE FUNCTIONS OF THE SENSES ARE LOWERED IN STRENGTH, THE ACTIVE OFFICES OF THE EARTHLY FRAME ARE LESS ENERGETIC. The sure and ready command of the will over the body is checked and resisted both by its dullness and its adverse inclinations. Above all, the body has become disordered and indocile through the lurid flame of concupiscence that lusts against the spirit. And what is most humiliating, the feeding of the body is the feeding of that concupiscence the very resting of the body overmuch is the quickening of that concupiscence to this again we must add those inherited disorders and enfeeblements contracted from unwise and unrestrained habits that are transmitted from father to son to the third and fourth generation and all those undefinable evils that flesh is heir to As therefore our mortal bodies are not regenerated in baptism like the soul but must wait for its regeneration in the resurrection the exercise of dominion over the body its senses appetites passions and resistances has become a work of great labor watchfulness and virtue the power of which is only to be gained through the grace of god and obedience to the law of self-denial the external senses are far from being the full account of the sensual man let me therefore invite your special attention to what follows we have internal as well as external senses and to these internal senses those that are external are subservient then there is the imagination that beautifying that terrifying that exaggerating faculty especially exaggerating when not duly governed in which the objects transmitted in their images from the corporal senses touch upon the soul and the intellectual light of the mind it is in the imagination that the objects of sense concupiscence and passion meet and conspire together and by their united influence often gain the mastery over us when not kept in just and due control it is chiefly the tide of our internal sensations however little noticed that gives us the consciousness of our animal life this tide of internal sensations is intimately connected with the fluids and their circulations Giving us pleasure in their healthy flow and trouble or distress in their languor, obstruction or derangement. The coursing of the blood through the arteries and veins, the flashing of electric force through the centres and countless branches of the nervous system, the pulsations of the heart with their measured music, the working of the machinery of respiration with its dependence on atmospheric conditions, the action of the glands in their functions of secretion the complicated laboratory of digestion the removal of wasted tissues the flame of animal life with its ever varying temperatures all these concur to keep alive in us the sense of our animal life in its harmonies or discords according to our state of health or derangements of calmness or excitement of subjection to the soul's dominion or of rebellion against the soul's authority this is but a brief and rough account of the elements of that internal sensation which are fed by the external senses and to this we must add the active operations and exertions of the body as it is the subject of the will or as it is the instrument of our earthly desires and appetites we do not even perform the spiritual operation of thinking in our present state without the cooperative action of the brain which depends for its healthy working upon the whole condition of the body we see then what a vast what a varied what a multiplied sense and movement exert their action within the body upon the soul as she pervades and animates the body when that complicated action is healthy harmonious and subordinate to the powers of the soul then all is order and peace but when that action is inflamed by concupiscence excited by passion disordered by unlawful appetite, or has lost the balance of temperance. The soul that gives herself to these ignominious movements, deserts her supremacy, surrenders her control, and falls in trouble and disorder under the dominion of the body. The soul becomes sensualized. Her power of seeing truth is no longer the same, and she becomes averse and alien from the spiritual life especially when she is not in the habit of denying or mortifying the body or of abstracting herself from its restless solicitations but the things of sense obtain their power over the soul through their subtle union in the ill-regulated imagination whereas we have said they gain a prodigious exaggeration of their value through the contact of their presence in the imagination with the intellectual light in the mind by an abusive subjection of our mental and spiritual light to the images of these earthly things they obtain a semblance of good and of greatness that does not belong to them but only to the spiritual and eternal things which that intellectual light illuminates and thus the poor soul in losing her proper elevation and dominion over the body loses her government over both sense and imagination and falls under the vile things beneath her which god made her to command the lust thereof shall be under thee and thou shalt have dominion over it from this great force of the human imagination from the misapplication of the light of intelligence to exaggerate the object of imagination and from the vast range of objects presented by the external world to human appetite and concupiscence man is the unhappy subject of so many temptations and passions and where there is no habitual conflict of the soul with the body where there is no rule of discipline to control its importunities where the appetites and tempers of the body are allowed their sway there is such a subtlety in winding to their objects such an exaggeration of their value such a mask of delusive motive raised in the imagination SUCH A CURIOSITY FOR NEW EXPERIENCES, SUCH A FANCY AND HOPE OF PLEASURE IN THEM, SUCH A PRIDE OF ANTICIPATED POSSESSION TO BE got OUT OF THEM, SUCH A VANITY IN THE EXPECTED DISPLAY OF THEM, SUCH A SENSITIVE CONSCIOUSNESS IN SELF-LOVE OF THE COMING ENJOYMENT FROM THEM, HOWEVER QUICKLY IT MAY FADE UPON POSSESSION. That the overmastered soul finds her spiritual strength dissolved in the carnal concupiscences of the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life. With his deep insight into the relations of soul and body, and of what originates in each of them, St. Paul has declared a number of vices that seem at first sight to originate in the soul to be manifest works of the flesh among these he enumerates enmities contentions emulations wraths quarrels sects envies he even ascribes heresies and false philosophies to the same carnal origin beware he says lest any man cheat you by philosophy and vain deceit according to the traditions of men according to the elements of this world and not according to christ again he says let no man seduce you willingly in humility and religion of angels walking in things which he hath not seen these passages refer to the errors of simon magus and the early gnostics who imported the philosophic imaginations of the east into christianity In false humility and real self-will, they asserted that man was too low a creature to be created by God, and that he was consequently made by inferior gods, eons or angels, and that he was not redeemed by the Son of God, but by an angel in human appearance. But when the Apostle explains how a heretic of this kind corrupts the faith with false philosophy he tells us that he is in vain puffed up by the sense of the flesh it is obvious that the immediate cause of the vices enumerated by st paul as manifest vices of the flesh is pride but this pride is generated from that sensual self-love which oppresses the soul through the heat and swelling of the imagination which has its source In the untamed spirit of the flesh. From this springs a false and fanatical enthusiasm that takes a hot pride in self-opinion and resists and opposes accepted truth as well as the authority on which it rests. For it is the nature of pride to withstand authority and to set up its own opinion against accepted faith no one who has watched the rise of a heresy or of a false philosophy opposed to religious authority can fail to observe that it is accompanied by an imaginative and an animal enthusiasm fertile in glowing words and sentences angry against opposition and the very opposite to that peace in believing which faith and true religion inspire yet it always takes the shape of negation and protest but this fervid ebullition of animal enthusiasm fails not to make the new opinions contagious among sensual minds for the clouds that spring up from the earthly senses eclipse the light of faith and generate that pride which contracts the mind and narrows the perception of the large spectacle of truth pride of intellect mistaken for inspiration is the immediate cause of error but sensitive self-love engendered by the spirit of the flesh is the instigator of that pride these victims of error are in vain puffed up by the sense of the flesh could we have stronger proof of the importance of keeping the body in subjection to the soul the subtle emotions of the inward senses fed into exaltation by the outward senses when not mortified and subdued inflate the soul through the imagination and breed delusion and error in the mind which the carnal heart accepts these errors are not objective then but subjective in their origin springing not from the truth but from the man As their negative character reveals but when once formulated and accepted by numbers on the authority of their originators they obtain a certain objective appearance of the weight of authority however devoid of solidity here let me observe for the remark is of extreme importance that the skillful physician of souls ought not only to understand the action of the soul within herself but also the action and reaction of soul on body and body on soul otherwise in mistaking the origin of internal troubles and delusions he will be apt to mistake their remedies profound therefore is the significance and great the purpose of that conservative law which commands us to subdue the body and bring it under servitude the man is chiefly in the soul and pre-eminently in the image and likeness of god to tame and rule the body is to assert the sovereignty of the soul and to exalt the image of god in this we see the incalculable value of the self-preserving laws of temperance of abstinence and of mortification of all that is summed up in the divine words if any man will follow me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me the spiritual combat of the superior against the inferior man is the law of self-restoration that follows the law of our redemption the lust thereof shall be under thee and thou shalt have dominion over it dominion not only over the gross and palpable lusts but also over those subtle and secret lustings and inflations that prompt to pride and lead to error The discipline of the body gives a concentrated force and vital energy to the soul, one great result of which is to change an insolent and dangerous enemy into an obedient and useful servant. But this cannot be done without long efforts conducted by rule and method. It cannot be perfected without that abstention from many things which the counsels of God prescribe as well as his commandments. It cannot be done effectively without sharp and vigorous appliances, nor without habitual abstraction of soul from many things of a sensual nature that besiege the imagination. Still less can the conquest of the sensual man be won without habitual dependence on God for help he who has never tried to win this victory can have but a poor notion of what there is within him to tame and to subdue before he can obtain that freedom of spirit which makes us free in ourselves and free in god but whoever has won this freedom will see all things in a new light and will understand them in a new sense philosophy may dream of obtaining such a discipline in the abstraction of the mind from the senses for how many ages has philosophy indulged in this dream but abstraction of mind is not life without the charity that unites the soul with god mere abstraction has nothing solid on which to rest After all, the soul is a spiritual substance and stands in need of a substantial good. But the mere philosophic abstraction of the mind from the senses is seldom more than a self-suspension for a time in the pride of intellect, after which there comes a terrible rebound and revulsion to the sensual man. A Plato may soar into lofty speculations and may carry them far, but was there ever such a licentious system of morals as that which he drew up for his ideal republic the natural man however sublime and genius is still the natural man too weak in himself to effect his own liberation detached from faith and from god he may entertain the most seductive speculations on what befits humanity but we have too often seen what comes of human freedom of human dignity and of human safety when the attempt is made to reduce these speculations to practice it is only by obedience to faith and to god's will that man is able to regain the lost supremacy of soul over body st paul has put the subject of this conflict before us in these searching terms i am delighted he says with the law of god according to the inward man but i see another law in my members fighting against the law of my mind and captivating me in the law of sin that is in my members for they that are according to the flesh mind the things that are of the flesh but they that are according to the spirit mind the things that are of the spirit for the wisdom of the flesh is death but the wisdom of the spirit is life and peace because the wisdom of the flesh is an enemy to god for it is not subject to the law of god neither can it be and they who are in the flesh cannot please god therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you shall die but if by the spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh you shall live for whosoever are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god It is an inexorable condition of human nature that no one can work out his internal freedom without the help of God. It is the liberating grace of God that takes him out of bondage to himself and gives freedom to his mind in the light and to his heart in the love of God but whilst god has given us this secondary image of himself in the dominion over the body and the inferior creation he has not given us this kind of dominion over those who are equally the image of god with ourselves wherever that image exists it claims our respect reverence and fraternal service but the image of god in one man is not to be the servile subject of another this is the error of unregenerated man or a very great abuse among regenerated men the government of christian men is more a kindly service than an exercise of dominion and our lord who has rectified all things has said you know that they who seem to rule over the gentiles lord it over them and their princes have power over them but it is not so among you but whosoever will be greater shall be your minister and whosoever will be first among you shall be the servant of all in the just man's house says st augustine they who govern are the servants of those whom they seem to command FOR GOD WOULD NOT HAVE THE RATIONAL MAN MADE IN HIS IMAGE TO HOLD DOMINION OVER OTHERS THAN THE RATIONAL CREATURES, NOT MAN OVER MAN, BUT MAN OVER THE BEASTS OF THE FIELD. THE SUBJECT WOULD BE INCOMPLETE WERE WE TO CONCLUDE WITHOUT POINTING OUT HOW THE GRACE OF REDEMPTION TENDS TO RESTORE THE EARTH TO GOD THROUGH THE REGENERATED in whom the former dominion over the earth revives this has been already shown in the power given to the martyrs and saints over wild and destructive animals it might be equally shown in the miraculous powers promised and given to men of great faith over the order of nature everywhere great monuments exist or have existed of the priesthood which men have exercised on the part of the inferior creation towards god as well as on the part of their own souls the land of the patriarchs received the divine blessing and its first fruits were offered to god or to man in his needs as the image of god the choicest of the flocks and herds were immolated to god in the sacrifice of faith AND IN THE HOPE AND EXPECTATION OF HUMAN REDEMPTION. THE WHOLE MOSAIC DISPENSATION RESTED ON THIS PRINCIPLE, THAT THE LAND WHICH GOD GAVE THEM WAS UNDER HIS OWN SOVEREIGN DOMINION, AND THAT THEIR JUDGES AND KINGS WERE BUT THE LIEUTENANTS OF GOD TO ORDER THE LAND AND GOVERN THE PEOPLE ACCORDING TO HIS DIVINE LAW. ONE TRIBE OF TWELVE WAS CONSECRATED TO GOD'S SERVICE and whilst the land was placed under the divine benediction one-tenth of its produce was devoted to god's service whatever was most beautiful or precious in the material creation was raised to greater beauty and expressiveness by the feeling and skill of the best artists and was consecrated to the honour and worship of god the princes and people in their tribes and families were constantly realizing in their life and worship that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Their prophets kept ever before them that on their obedience to the law depended the dominion over the land and their enjoyment of its fruits. But in this faithful restoration of the silent creation to its divine creator, what did faith in the expected redemption accomplish when compared with what faith in our redemption received has accomplished wherever that faith has appeared in its catholic fullness whether in rude or civilized nations one of its great instincts has been to devote all things best in the creation to god whether to his immediate worship or to his service in the exercise of charity to the helpless and the ignorant great souls made great by great faith and charity have been the great christian providences of the world in restoring something of that equality of goods which has been made far more unequal by the selfish ambitions cupidities and other sins of men than by the natural inequalities of skill and labor whilst the faith of the multitude has followed in its degree the faith and works of the saints christ himself ordained that the water which descends on the earth the wheat that grows in the fields the sun-nourished vine and the oil expressed from the fertile olive should become the expressive veils of spiritual sacraments, and all things most beautiful, precious, touching, or sublime in this visible world enter into the language of faith for the illustration of eternal things. Christ himself made all things that are most homely and familiar to man in the creation, the parables of his path and conduct on the way to heaven the noblest inventions of the human mind and heart are industriously combined with the best materials the earth can afford to honor god in his temples and church wherever a few faithful men are gathered the church soars above all human habitations and proclaims the dominion of god and the supremacy of faith in a country of faith every point in the landscape that meets the eye is consecrated by a church where god is honoured or by the saving cross the symbol of the soul's dominion over the sensual part of man it would be long to tell how the promise of christ has been fulfilled even on this earth that blessed are the meek for they shall possess the land but we may recall the long ages when monasteries of meek men the practical philosophers of christianity devoted to the law of perfection and convents of tender women made strong by a like consecration and discipline raised their great structures in every town and city on the mountain side in the green valley and by the murmuring stream These were the strongholds of God's law and counsels, and of the works of mercy, spiritual and corporal. These were the mansions of peace, where prayer went up to God for all mankind, and the ignorant found light, the sorrowing comfort, the needy relief, and the houseless shelter. And all was done and given for the love of God hospitals opened their doors to the aged the maimed and the sick providing all things both for body and soul it would be long to tell how much of this world's goods was devoted by faith and even in these unbelieving times is still devoted by faith to charity the redemption of christ has therefore brought a certain deliverance even to the inferior creatures and an exaltation of them towards their final end man repaired in the image of god and reformed to his likeness has recovered not a little of that secondary dominion both over himself and over the inferior creation especially by the law of self-denial the more of spiritual life he recovers the higher his dominion rises over sensible things, the more he spiritualizes even those material and earthly things, and makes them the servants of his faith and charity. He thus becomes the true representative of God to the inferior creation, and the mind and voice of the inferior creation to God. By the gift of faith he sees god more clearly in his works and by the gift of charity he learns how best to use the works of god to their noblest ends from the bosom of creation his sanctity can draw secrets that are hidden from the ungodly and the proud a saint bernard will learn more of god among the rocks woods and solitudes of nature than from all his books a saint francis will see god's love and tenderness in every living creature however insignificant to less faithful eyes and will converse with them as though they were his brethren saints have risen to god in rapture from looking into the serene heavens or from contemplating the beauty of a flower to read the psalms with a christian heart is to feel how the inspired king made a harp out of the whole creation on which to celebrate the power and the majesty the goodness and the mercy the tenderness and condescension of our divine creator and provider the christian poets and saints have followed the example of the royal psalmist and as the priests of nature have given a tongue to all the mute creation, that through the heart of man they may render glory to their sovereign Lord. End of lecture three, part three.